Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Okay, Reggie, we ready to go? I sure am. Let's do this thing. All right. Let me get the microphone on. Sorry about this. <laughs> All right. Now, the instrument, the microphone and the instrument, <clears throat> meaning the voice, uh, both instruments are ready to go. So let's get, let's get started then. <laughs> are you ready? I'll give you the, um, the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. How's that? Uh, we're at one of those numbers again there, Reg. One of those special numbers with a zero. Fives and zeros. We love fives and zeros. So put it in the book. Episode 280. We are approaching 300. 20 weeks. So five months from now. So sometime in early 2022. You know, January or February. October, November, December. Yeah, sometime in February or March will be... Uh, Hitting the 300 mark. Pretty cool. All right. You ready to go? Here we go. Star, smile, strong. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. It only makes sense. As I've said many times, though, don't think that just listening gets you off the hook here. Your obligations run much deeper if you're a regular listener to the Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic podcast. No, no, it's your job to go out there and help spread the word. So send a message, send a link, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell anyone who listens to podcasts that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Don't forget to rate and to subscribe to the podcast as well. Your loyalty and your devotion, oh, it brings a tear to my eye and a lump to my throat to think that all of you have come here just to listen to me. I am humble. If you like what you hear, don't forget, you can go to WGNRadio.com, go to the podcast section at the prompt for this podcast, and you will find all previous, hopefully all previous, 279 episodes. That vault is chock full of amazing Elton Jim podcast just waiting for you to listen to and binge on so go crazy 279 in the vault can only mean one thing welcome to episode 280 280 of course uh, another number with a zero at the end you know how we love uh, to commemorate anything with a five or a zero episode 280 I don't know if that's important or not, but it sounds impressive, right? 280? Wow, nice. A few more months, we'll be at 300. 
right? What the hell? You know, what is that? Uh, 20? 20 weeks? So what is that? We got 52 weeks in a year. So maybe about four and a half, five months. We'll be at 300. Hope you'll be there for that one, too. That'll have two zeros at the end of it. A three zero zero. Well, I can only imagine the the big deal that that must be when there's two zeros, not just a five or a zero, but two zeros. Wow. But for now, we're just plugging away. Episode 280. So what I wanted to talk about today was a a recent and very, uh, from my standpoint, very encouraging news report development. This is not necessarily a sports-oriented subject. So if you're not a big sports fan, you just don't say, oh, I'm not listening to this one. It's, it's sports-related, but it's much more about um, priorities and human nature and, and really self-awareness of understanding your own capabilities and your own strengths and your own weaknesses. So I believe that this is a topic that everybody can relate to. Yes, it is. it revolves around a sports-oriented or sports-related topic, but what I want to talk about really is not about X's and O's. It's not about uh, the inside the sports and and specifics about sports. It's more about people and why this news and decision is uh, is long overdue, in my opinion, and maybe one of the only. And I say this in all seriousness with no sarcasm at all. It may be the only positive, correct decision that the Chicago Bears ownership has ever made in the last 35, 36 years. The McCaskey ownership, when they took over, this may be the first time in more than 30 years that they actually made a correct decision. It's been that long. Let me explain. Last week, the Bears announced in perhaps one of the... Well, it was still surprising in that you wouldn't think that the Bears would actually, as I said before, make the right decision. So it wasn't a complete surprise, and yet it was a shock. And if that makes no sense and it sounds contradictory, that falls in line with exactly the kind of atmosphere that, can, that, that, that hovers around and almost defines the Chicago Bear organization. There, are, there, are, there, there, is no, there is no logic. It's always conflicted because the ownership of the Chicago Bears under the McCaskey family um, has been inept at best, at best. And this is not just, as I said before, sports-oriented. This is about having control of something and not knowing what to do with it and not having the awareness to realize your shortcomings and to do something positive about it. 
But I have to say, I have been a major critic of the McCaskey ownership of the Bears almost since it started. And it dates back to when George Hallis, the original founder uh, not only of the Chicago Bears franchise, but also one of the, the founders of the NFL in general, one of the founding fathers of the NFL was George Hallis, the owner of the Chicago Bears. And sadly, in the history of the Chicago Bears, being one of the founding members of this league, of, of, of now a multi-billion dollar league, there is no way that when football was first, professional football was first uh, organized into leagues that, that they ever could have thought that this sport and this business, and that's what it is, could have become as prevalent, as popular, and as domineering, and as revenue-generating in the multi-billions as professional football is today. There is no way, especially when you consider that for centuries, baseball, has always been considered the national pastime. And it seemed that baseball was just a part of Americana. And that's still the way they sell baseball. But baseball has, over the last several decades, certainly in the last, within the last 30 years, has fallen in its popularity, especially with the younger generation, and football has risen. It's, baseball still may be the quote-unquote national pastime. And if you think about that term, that's, that exactly is what, ba- that is what baseball does. It passes time. Baseball, while the, the current uh, organization is trying to speed it up in order to appeal to a more fast-paced, and short attention span kind of you know you know audience thrill demanding audience that the, that the current younger generation is so they have attempted to make the game more interesting to to speed it up which for those of us who are longtime baseball fans and I guess you consider consider traditionalists or purists. Um, I have a problem with that because it's it, that's what baseball is, and you're and, and I believe that you're changing the game at its core when you try to create these new kind of gimmicky things to either speed up the game or make the game more exciting in terms of more runs or more. Um, whoever coined the phrase "national pastime," they hit it right on the head. That's what baseball is about. Baseball was invented during a simpler time, during a slower time in American history. Before we were a high-flying, high-energy world power, there was baseball. And there's that great uh, speech that James Earl Jones gives at the end of uh, the Field of Dreams film, if you've never seen the film or if you've never seen the speech, at the very least, if you don't want to watch the film, if you're not a baseball fan, that's fine. But if you want to just, if you want to see and hear 
a great piece of writing and a great performance of a great piece of writing, go on YouTube, just type in James Earl Jones Field of Dream Speech, and I'm sure it'll pop up. And it, it, it crystallizes and encapsulizes what baseball has meant to this country. Now, whether it still does or not is debatable. But the notion of what baseball has been and what it is, its tradition, what, what it, what it, how it helps define, or at least at one time helped define what America was or American values in, in some respects. It's a, it's a great moment in, in a movie, and it's a great piece of writing. And as I said, James Earl, James Earl Jones does an amazing job of delivering this speech. But baseball has always been the Amer- great American pastime. It passes time. But football, certainly in the last 35 years, has easily become America's favorite sport. There is no question about it. And I've, I've talked about football on and off and baseball on this podcast during these last 280 episodes. And I've always said that the thing about football that is great is that it is timed, whereas baseball, like I've, I know I sound like George Carlin here, baseball goes on forever. It never ends. We even have extra innings. Football is a game played on a gridiron of sequential 10-yard, you know, I mean, if you've never seen that, go on YouTube and type in George Carlin baseball versus football. George Carlin was not only a great comedian, he was a great social comment, uh, you know, social commentator and, uh, and brilliant. And uh, that's another classic. So I, you have two little homework assignments uh, so far, and maybe you'll have more <laughs> as this podcast goes on. But there's no question that football was made um, for television. It came into its own in the television era in the late 60s when color television was beginning to take hold and television itself was no longer looked as, as, an, as, a, as a luxury but as a necessity in homes, that's right when the Super Bowl started. And uh, as television watching and, uh, and entertainment uh, became, and, and it, the television became a major part of, of a household, uh, that's when it's no, it's no, it's no uh, surprise that football also grew along with television. And as football, when, when do you see televisions uh, ha- ha- when do you see sales for televisions happen the most? It's always in late December. And you say, well, Jim, that's because of Christmas. No, 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 it's not. Because you will even see sales for televisions after Christmas. No, no. Sales for televisions are driven by the Super Bowl, the ultimate football game each year. They even have free delivery up into the big game for your television. There's no question that the popularity of football and the popularity of television have gone side by side over the last 40 or 50 years. And the size of our televisions have grown with the size of the NFL and its own popularity. 
Because once again, the goal is to get that big screen TV in your house in time for the Super Bowl game. And that means 55 inches, I mean 40 inch 40 inch television set now is almost like a 13 inch set used to be. If you have a 40 inch set and I have to say I have like a 41 or 42 inch set, my set I believe is my gosh, at this point like 15 years old. I think I got it in 2007. So my TV is you know is 15 years old. For, and, and at the time, a 40-inch set was big. But now, in 2021, if you don't have at least a 55-inch set or more, you're considered, you know, in the dark ages. And I flirted with it because the, 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 price, the, you know, the, the prices of TV sets now are ridiculously low. When you watch, if you watch any, I say I, I watch this um, this this uh, station called Buzzer, which is all game shows, and it's mostly old game shows dating back to the '60s. The irony is that TVs to this is the one thing. If you talk about inflation and how prices have changed, and how you know, oh my gosh, you know, car prices and everything. The one. The one luxury and quote luxury, which I which I'm saying now, it's no longer a luxury item; it's a necessity. But the one item, the one major purchase that you may make for your home, uh, that has actually gone down in price and gives you more value for your dollar than it used to thirty or forty or fifty or even sixty years ago. This is amazing. Is the television? If you watch or you go back. And look at the price of television sets. They were $500,000 for 25-inch sets. 25-inch. Today, the, the, the screen sizes are more than double that. The sound quality, of course, is off the... Even without all the, the, the sort of optional... You know, home theater things that you could buy to plug in to, to, you know, surround sound and all that that you could buy as components. But even the sound quality that is included in the picture itself, in the, in the TV itself, is far, far better than it was 50 years ago or 60 years ago. And of course, the introduction and invention of HD TV just, you know, changed all the rules. So it's amazing that in today's world, even what would be considered A-list brands of televisions, like your Sonys or your LGs, a 50-inch set, 50 inches, say that, let's just use 25, which used to be considered a big set, double the screen size, blow away the sound, and now the quality of the picture, and yet the price is probably in half for doubling the screen size and quadrupling the overall entertainment experience. So the television right now may be one of the best buys ever, no pun intended. (laughs) I'm not doing any promos for Best Buy here. (laughs) Maybe that's why they made the name. So the television, clearly, but to get back to my point, the television itself and football have grown side by side. Football is easily the most popular sport in America, and 
not only was it driven by perhaps uh, it being made for television, as I said, it's I consider it a made-for-TV sport because, <clears throat> excuse me, it, everything about it, like I said, baseball has no beginning and no end. You don't know how long the game is going to be. You don't know when the next action is going to happen. You don't know with every pitch it could be just a pitch or it could be an exciting home run, but you never know. In basketball, they score so much, it's almost expected that they score, right? It's it's, it's how they score. If someone shoots a three-pointer or makes a tremendous dunk, it's how they score. It's not if they're going to score. Hockey is is the same way. We don't know. We can be watching a hockey game. You never know when that puck is going to go into the net. And of course, for most part, you can't see the puck on television. <laughs> but football, it's as if they sat down and said, how do we create a sport that will play so well on television? And it really does. You've got the action is centered in the middle of the screen, and it's all there. You know, if you watch a baseball game on television, all you really see, for the most part, is the pitcher and the catcher and the umpire. You see that center field shot. So you see the pitcher and the batter and the catcher and the umpire. And that's what you basically see until the ball is hit. And then they go to different cameras and they they move around and they show you all the different players. It goes to right field or to second base. But, but for the most part, when you're watching a game, you're watching that one static shot of the pitcher and the batter. Meanwhile, there's you know, seven other players on the defense that you rarely see. You may never see the outfielder if they keep striking someone out. <laughs> but in football, all the action centered right in the middle of your TV set. All the players are there. Maybe some of the defensive backs might be out of the screen uh, if they're playing a, a farther back kind of a zone defense. But aside from that, all the players are right in the middle. Both teams. 24 players right there. We know that the play, we don't know when the pitcher is going to throw that ball. He's going to scratch himself. He's going to rub the ball. We don't know when the next pitch is going to come. In basketball, we don't know when the next shot's going to come. In football, we don't know, or in hockey, we don't know when the shot's going to come. And in soccer, we don't know when anything's going to happen. That clock just runs. That's a whole different game, especially for television. But for football, we know every 45 seconds a new play is going to happen. Every 45, you, 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 can, you, can, you can bet on it unless there's a penalty of some sort. So we know that, that after, you know, and, and, then, and then that play commences and it's finished. And now we got 45 seconds to get up and go to the bathroom, get up and get something to drink, get up and stretch our legs. And I'll be back in 30 seconds and I could see the next play. And there are all the players, and there's all the action. You can literally set a clock to the game. So in terms, and, and, and there's action. And in, in that 45 seconds, something's going to happen. In baseball, once again, I don't know what's going to happen. That pitch might just be a ball, ball one. Okay, throw it back to the pitcher. But in football, something's going to happen. That, that, that line of scrimmage, the, both sides are going to attack each other. Some things, there's action guaranteed every 45 seconds.
And in today's sporting world, well, you can't beat that. It's, it, 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 it satisfies our short attention span. It satisfies our want for excitement. It satisfies our prime, you know, primary, uh, at least for men, I guess, uh, you know, desire for hitting and violence. It's got it all. It's got it all. And television is a major reason why football has become that. And you cannot discount the rise in football and its popularity. You cannot discount the aspect that now is so widespread and legalized that it's literally a part of the game. It used to be this little dirty secret but now it's out in the open and it and it's and it's legal and it's it's literally part of the game and of course that is gambling football has always been and that's what drove football's popularity as well whether it was illegal gambling or legal gambling uh you know at uh at at sports booking book places in Vegas but now that is all over the country Betting on sports is legal. You see DraftKings and and all these different legal uh, betting sports book, uh, either online or brick-and-mortar places. In fact, they're even thinking of building a a, a sports book in Wrigley Field in ba- and for baseball. You can bet on all sports. But that's just how legal or betting, wagering in this country has become so legitimized. I don't know how organized crime makes money anymore. (laughs) I mean, that used to be one of their major revenue generators, and now it's legalized. But you cannot deny that. It's always been there. It was kind of, it was was, uh, hidden in plain sight, is the way I always like to describe it. Even dating back into the 70s, on network television, the thing that made television sports in the early days and the whole idea of the pregame show, and younger people may not even understand this because sports is so prevalent. Now there's all these cable stations and online places, and you know the, 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 post-game, the pregame shows start two hours before each game. That didn't always happen before the 70s, as I said, when, when television really started to take its own, and that's when football rose. Basically, the pregame show for football used to be the half hour before the game. Here in the, in the central time zone here in Chicago, for instance, the game started at noon. At 11.30 is when the pregame show for football was on before the game. Half hour show on CBS with Brent Musburger. That pretty much the NFL today on CBS. That was the defining show. The other pregame shows then developed, and obviously when football went to ESPN and other cable outlets, uh, you know they expanded those, but it was a relatively uh, innocent little half-hour pregame. But part of that pregame highlight show with Brett Musburger, who did such an amazing job and helped define that genre, and he deserves credit for that, part of that was was also betting it was it was illegal everywhere in the country except for vegas in the 70s especially maybe there were some other small pockets but for the most part betting on football was illegal unless you know you went to a sports book in vegas and yet on 
national television with Brent Musburger on CBS Network. Brent had one of the best-known odds makers, which there used to be these high-profile odds makers, and there still are to some extent, but a guy named Jimmy, Jimmy the Greek Snyder. Jimmy the Greek, who got in some trouble later uh, with some kind of racist remarks he made. But Jimmy the Greek was on every week giving the line. You know, it's, it's you know, the Broncos by seven. They were speaking directly to betters there. There was no ifs, ands, and buts who that was directed at. And yet it wasn't really explained that way. It wasn't, it wasn't clearly delineated that, okay, listen, betters, but it was understood. There was a little wink. But that was a part of football from the beginning. And now it is ingrained in the game. There's not even any kind of wink-wink anymore. It's part of the game. You see these commercials on TV now. That's all you see are commercials on TV for, for, for sports betting, online especially. You can bet within the game. Like all these prop bets, those little kind of crazy prop bets that you that you hear about for the Super Bowl about oh you know what's the coin flip going to be and what's going you can bet play by play. That's how how just you know the the, the sporting betting thing has gotten just so uh, massive that it, it it's it's just like you know marijuana. It's legalized and all bets are off. No pun intended. <laughs> So you can't you cannot deny that football is the uh the most popular sport in the country. And to get back to my original point, there's no question that here in Chicago, where I am born and raised and podcasting from, there is no question that of all the sports in this city and and being a, a major market, one of the oldest cities in the country, one of the biggest and most uh, you know, important, major market, major tier, world-class cities of this country, if not in the world. Chicago is one of them. It, even though it's going through a bad time right now, it still is one of them just by population alone. And we have had storied sports organizations and franchises in this city just because whenever the leagues were forming Hundreds of years ago, you had to go to where the population was. At the time, before there was television and even radio, you needed to get people in the seats. So you wanted to go to the most populated areas. So that's why New York, Chicago, California, major cities. Chicago has always been a founding member of any new league, of any sport, because of its population and its reach. And so for all the history of the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Blackhawks and more recently the Chicago Bulls, and now there's a Chicago Fire soccer team, um, for all the major sports, there is no question that Chicago is a Bears town. Unequivocally, Chicago is a Bears and football town. The Blackhawks, over the last 10 years or so, have won three championships, three Stanley Cups, 
For a while, they were very dominant in this city. Everybody was wearing a Blackhawks jersey or a Blackhawks hat. The Cubs won their first World Series in more than 100 years in 2016. The White Sox won their last World Series in uh, 2005. So in the last 20 years, Chicago sports, and of course uh, the, the, the Bulls, dominated basketball in the 90s with six championships. So over the last 30 years, going back to your, your, your Bulls championships, and there was a time when everybody wore a Bulls hat. Over the last 30 years, despite the other teams succeeding and winning the championships, all Chicago teams in the last 30 years have done that, which is quite a feat considering how bad Chicago teams have been. But Chicago fans really don't have much to complain about over the last 30 years. Six Bulls championships, three Blackhawks World, uh, you know, Stanley Cups, and a World Series for the for the Cubs and for the Sox. That's 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 a, a pretty a pretty impressive run for Chicago, considering how horrible Chicago has been for the last fifty or sixty or seventy years in most sports. And despite all those other victories and championships by those other sports, this is still. A Bears town. Even though their last Super Bowl was in 1986, 35 years ago this year, doesn't matter. It's still a Bears town. For the last 34 years after the Bears won that championship, even though they, they went to one Super Bowl, it was an embarrassment that they were in it. They, or they, never, they, were, they played horribly. The first play of that game in 2007 was the only uh, play of the game you needed to see if you were a Bears game. Literally the first play of the game when Devin has to run it back. Aside from that, it was an embarrassment, and they really didn't belong in the Super Bowl that year. They got very lucky during the season. A lot of last-minute wins, a lot of of lucky wins, and they proved it in that game. They, they didn't deserve to be in that game. But regardless, they made it fine, but they got beat soundly, and they were never in the game. Despite having not won a championship and not winning a Super Bowl in the last 35 years, this is still a Bears town. Despite being horrible, pretty much, year in and year out, Overall, and being very inconsistent. The very, I'll give you this: they've been very inconsistent over the last thirty-four years, and they have been through countless coaching and uh, front office changes. Countless coaches, countless general managers, just bad decisions. And regardless, this is such a Bears town that fans have a, an insatiable love and loyalty and devotion for this team, despite their failures. There is, a, there is just an inbred natural optimism about the Bears. Before the season starts, the, everyone thinks they're going to the Super Bowl, even though you know they're not when you see the team they have on the field and you look at their roster. If you look at it from, a, from an objective view, you know that it's not going to happen, and yet 
you talk to the Bears fans and they think they're going to the Super Bowl. Families have traditions built around Sunday Bear games. Everybody wears their jerseys and their T-shirts and their hats. And there are specific meals that are made. Everybody has their own, you know, seven-bean Mexican salad that they make or their chili or their ribs or their potato salad or their whatever it is. There are family traditions. The bar situation and restaurants in Chicago are built around those now 17 games every year. And that's another reason why football is so popular because the ga- every game, there's only 17 games. Every game is important. Every game is a showcase. In baseball, there are 162 games. You don't even know how many games are, when there is a game and when there isn't. You just think there's always a game during the summer. You know, football and or hockey and basketball, 81, 82 games a year. Same thing. There's a lot of games. I don't know how many there are. I don't really follow soccer. I'm not really sure how many games are in soccer. But football, just 17. Every game counts, and every game is once a week. It's a showcase game. You block out your Sunday and after before before the game and after the game for the next week. Or the week before, the you know the six days before and the six days after, all you do if you're a sports fan is talk about either the game coming up or how bad or good the game was the other day. So as I said, it it, it it's got all the elements, and in Chicago especially, it's a Bears town, despite how poorly overall they have performed over the last 35 years. I attribute their inconsistency and their embarrassing record over the last 35 years in both the regular season and the postseason to the fact of their ownership. Now, it's a great, as I said before at the beginning, it's very contradictory because the Hallis family, George Hallis, George S. Hallis, who helped found not only the team, but the league itself, and was, and certainly knew football, right? He, he helped invent the league. So what a tradition, what a legacy, what a history. And even during his tenure, let, let's not get all glossy and teary-eyed. The Bears during the Hallis, George Hallis's time as both coach and as owner, was not filled with yearly championships and Super Bowls. Truth be told, the Bears were not in a Super Bowl until they won it in 1986. Super Bowl wasn't around at the beginning of football. That was a relatively new invention in the late 60s, the Super Bowl game. The Bears won the championship in 1963, but that was not the Super Bowl. There was a difference. The Bears, this this story team, one of the founding bedrocks, the founding franchises has only been in two Super Bowls. And they've only won one. That's not saying much when you think about other organizations who are who have a much 
smaller history and legacy in the league and have won more Super Bowls than the Bears. Now, the only difference is that while George Halas certainly knew the game, he wasn't the greatest coach, and he may not have been the greatest owner, but he knew the game. And he knew how to run a business for his time. And that's the key. George Harris passed away, sadly, before the Bears got into the Super Bowl in 1986. But he did put the pieces together that led to that Super Bowl team. So some people, without a lot of in-depth knowledge, could say, well, Jim, how could you say that the McCaskies... Uh, you know, haven't done anything because they were the owners during for in 1986 when the Bears won the Super Bowl. The McCaskies were the owners. George McCaskey, the president of the team at that time, you know, he held up the 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 the, uh, the George Halas Trophy and went or the Vince Lombardi Trophy and went woof 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 at the Bears parade in downtown Chicago in 1986 in January. So what are you talking about? No, no. The McCaskey ownership does not get credit for that Super Bowl. The McCaskey ownership did not hire Mike Ditka, did not hire Jim Finks, did not hire Jerry Venisi, who were the architects and the head coach of that Super Bowl team. That was George Hallis's doing. That was his legacy. He sadly didn't live to see the fruits of it, but he put the pieces in place. He gets credit for that. The McCaskies, now you say, well, why, why don't, why don't Hallis's own it? The McCaskey ownership is George Hallis's daughter. George Hallis had two kids. Muggs was his nickname. He was being groomed to be the heir apparent to his father. Sadly, he died in his 50s of a heart attack. And so the team and everything with it went to his sister, Virginia McCaskey, her married name. And she has, inst- she has installed two of her sons in the highest part of that, Michael and George, one of the team's presidents. Uh, Ted Phillips has been around for, my gosh, decades and I don't know why he still has a job because his record of as as president of the team or whatever he is now, as I said before, is inconsistent at best. The McCaskies do not have the football acumen that George Hallis had. George Hallis never meant for his daughter's family to own that team. The McCaskies seem to be a very nice family. I have nothing against them personally. And there is no question that they are dyed-in-the-wool Bear fans. They are the biggest Bear fans there are. And well, they should be because their father and their grandfather and their great-grandfather started this. They are proud of their grandfather. They are proud of their family's tradition. They are proud of their family's history and legacy. And they should be. And it is admirable. And I... And I have nothing but respect for them as Bear fans. 
I have very little respect for them as owners of the team, active owners. Now, they could be owners of the team and be silent owners. They could be owners, and there could be an entire front office of football veterans and experienced people who run that show, and they could go to the games, sit in the skyboxes, and cheer for their teams like many owners do. But they run the team like a family business, and they run the team, sadly, like a mom-and-pop business. And that is where the problem is. They don't have the skill or the knowledge to run this team. They could be owners of the team, but they shouldn't be running it. They've had three decades, and they have proven to be inept at running the team. If they were to give up control and hire a new CEO that has no McCaskey ties, who is just a an experienced winning football person, man or woman, who then hires an experienced and knowledgeable and proven track record front office of general manager and coaches and scouts, then let the McCaskies continue on the team. But let them be owners who own the team, not run it. They have had more than enough time to show if they can run it or not, and they can't. It's just that simple. That's not mean. It's just fact. It's based on fact. They have not won a Super Bowl that they helped put together with their people in place. Michael McCaskey's first decision as an owner was firing Mike Ditka and hiring Dave Wanstad, which proved to be terrible. And then the first in a line of horrible coaching decisions and front office decisions. Because the the McCaskies run this team like a mom-and-pop organization, like a Pop Warner team, not a professional team. The Chicago Bears, given their history, given their legacy, they are a founding member of this league, should be in the playoffs every year. The expectations of going to the Super Bowl or winning the division shouldn't just be because you're a diehard fan. It should be based on real hard facts that this team is one of the best teams in the league. The Bears are rarely the best team in the league, ever. If they do have a good record during a season, it's been due to overachievement or an easy schedule. You know, in a football season, if you have a bad season one year, that means the next year to even things up and to create parity, they give you an easier schedule. If you look back at the Bears winning schedule, Bears winning seasons over the last 35 years, most of their winning schedule, their winning seasons have come after a losing season when they get an easier record. And then they beat up on on 500 teams. 
And they're always been in, for the most part, a very weak division. But to be hiring as many coaches that have proved inept, and basically, they, why? Because they, they treat this like a mom-and-pop organization. The Bears should have among the best coaches available. I always go back to the Chicago Cubs when they won their World Series. They won their World Series because they hired Theo Epstein. They finally decided to spend money and get the best in the business. And what happened? They won it, finally, after 108 years. For the most part, what the Bears have done, have hired inexperienced, glorified assistant coaches with no track record of their own as a head coach winning a world uh, winning a super bowl they may have been on super bowl winning teams but they weren't the head coach so they can get the coach for cheap he may be an up and comer he may be a bright star he may be a rising star but most of the ho- the coaches that the bears have have never won a super bowl themselves and when they did hire someone he was an older guy a little out of touch a few years ago but the Dick Jurons and the Dave Wanstats and the Lovey Smiths and the Mark Trestmans and the Matt Nagies, these are all glorified assistant coaches without any Super Bowl rings on their fingers for being a head coach. That's unacceptable. The Bears should have the best coaches available. They never have had that under the McCaskies. They should have the best general managers, proven general managers who have won Super Bowls under their guidance. Never have had that. Their current GM, Ryan Pace, is so inept, so inexperienced, but they got him on the cheap. Rising star, and he fits the Bears' mold. And that's the sad part, too. All these coaches... As I said, they run the team like a mom-and-pop thing. They're not, they're not interested in winning. They're interested in having nice people with, you know, soft-spoken, you know, parted-on-the-side hair, strong family values, and that's why they never win. This is a business today, folks. It has to be run that way. I wish that the McCaskies would sell the team to an out-of-town interest who has no connection to this city at all and would just come in and run this team like it needs to be, like a business and like a sport. Hiring the best people to run the team in the front office and to run the team on the field and hiring the best players too. The Bears have never had that. There's this notion, which I give the McCaskies credit for, for perpetuating, and somehow, once again, Bear fans are so indoctrinated and they're, they're, they're so willing to accept anything the Bears do, they give the Bears such a benefit of the doubt that there's this impression that, well, the McCaskies are a family-run business, so they don't have the money that other teams have. B.S., The McCaskey family have billions. 
They may not have money like Jerry Jones or someone else, but they've got enough money that they have made. This has been a family interest for a hundred years. And the Bears have owned this city. And the Bears sell billions of dollars, I'm sure, in memorabilia alone. If you with all the jerseys and hats and and bear bedspreads and you name it. The memorabilia alone, the Bears make a ton of money. We're not running any tag days for the McCaskies. The McCaskies have boatloads of money that they could spend on this team. They don't want to. They've been crying poor, and the media here in Chicago and the fans have allowed them to. But don't, don't worry about it. There's no tag days for the McCaskies. As part of this big news that I'm telling you about at the beginning of this podcast, which may have been the greatest and best and the only correct decision ever made, the Bears have decided to move out of Chicago, out of that that out-of-date, architecturally hideous and, and embarrassing soldier field run by the Chicago Park District where little league kids play, where high school teams play in the Chicago Bears, one of the, the, the founding teams in this league play in the same place where high school and Pop Warner teams play, run by the Chicago Park District, where the turf is buckling up and falling out during games, that it's embarrassing. You got million-dollar athletes running on a, a field that is run by the Chicago Park District. The turf literally falling out during games. My grass is better than the grass at Soldier Field. I had some new turf put in, some new sod come in. It doesn't buckle up. But it's been embarrassing to watch major, you know, professional football being played on a field where high school kids play. That's not befitting of the Bears' organization it's not befitting of the city of chicago so much to my both surprise and for the first time i must say much to my my uh, i guess uh, i don't even know respect they have finally made the right decision now if they're gonna at least we'll see they have decided to buy a huge patch of land which was formerly the Arlington Park race uh, racetrack in Arlington Park in Arlington Heights, Illinois, about forty-five or so minutes outside of the city. With the intentions, they haven't said it yet. They're being very coy because of their leases and stuff at really at, at Soldier Field. But ultimately, most likely, the Bears will build their own finally world-class stadium that is befitting of one of the founding teams in the league and of this franchise and of this city. After, at the beginning, playing in Wrigley Field, at the beginning of it, which was ridiculous, where you know the, the, the goalposts were practically in the bleachers. I don't remember that. I was too young to see that, but I've seen pictures. To put a football field in Wrigley Field was ridiculous. So then they moved to Soldier Field, which is a park district field, as I said. And then, what, about uh, in 2003, instead of building 
their own stadium, state-of-the-art stadium, which they should have. They went on the cheap once again, just like they have with all their coaches and all their front office, and did this deal with the park district, and they created this horrible architectural disaster of trying to, to, to make more seats to fit into this antiquated stadium on the lake. And they're worried about colonnades. They're worried about taking down some columns. I mean, who cares? Wake up. This is why Chicago is where it is today. It's stuck in this parochial, short-sighted view that was actually started by the late Mayor Daly of doing just that's something that's just good enough. We've never had world-class stuff in this city. We've had stuff that's just good enough. Even O'Hare Airport, at one time the busiest airport in the country, now it is so outdated. I fly to airports all around the country, and I see the kind of airports that secondary cities have. They're like cities. New York now has, just, has been doing, over the last several years, has been doing a major re- reworking of their LaGuardia Airport, which is their main airport, which certainly needed it. But my God, when that thing is going to be done here, I've just seen it over the last five or six years or four years, whatever it's been. It's going to be unbelievable. O'Hare now is going to look like some shabby little shed compared to some of these. And you go to some cities, and these airports are unbelievable. Chicago, sadly, because of Mayor Daley and his south side roots and his working man view, he never had big, adventurous plans. He always had plans that were just good enough, a little... you know, the horrible uh, McCormick place on the lake is just this big, ugly barn to have space to have trade shows, but nothing to look at. They've had to go in and try to and try to spruce it up and constantly rebuilding and adding to it because the original one was just a barn to have these things, and that's all that he cared about. Ironically, this move to Arlington Park and Arlington Heights for the Bears is about 50 years too late. Many people may not remember it. I was just a little kid, but I remember this. While George Harris, when George Hallis still owned the team, he was threatening because he saw what a horrible place Soldier Field was. And they didn't have many seats then either. And he saw what these other teams were starting to build. They were building domes and these major stadiums, and the Bears were stuck in this little crap hole. So he was going to go out and build a stadium in Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights, the same place they're going now. They were going to do this 50 years ago. At that time, Mayor Daley had such a stranglehold on this city And the whole state, at that time, he had been mayor for 20 years. He had such a a, a political and a power base that he he would make the most ridiculous statements and people would cower because they were afraid to get on this guy's bad side. He did more harm for this city. Everybody praises Richard J. Daley. He did more harm for this city than good. All he cared about was re-election and patronage. And lying the pockets of his friends. He didn't do this city any 
real, you say, oh yeah, well they built uh, O'Hare Field, Jim, what are you talking about? Yeah, they built O'Hare Field to become a patronage job place for him to get votes. Oh, well he built McCormick Place and made Chicago into a convention center. McCormick Place is the ugliest convention center in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the world. Chicago is a, is a convention city in spite of how horrible and ugly McCormick Place is. Don't even talk about the 1968 convention here. Don't even talk about the projects that Mayor Daley built in this city, which are probably most likely linked to the, the gang and crime problems that we have in the city today. Don't be impressed by people that win re-election for 20 years. Longevity is not always a sign of excellence. He knew how to work the system. He great he created the system. But if you look at what he did, really, it didn't it didn't match being elected for twenty years. And then the worst part was that name got his son elected and he really put this city in a bad shape for his 20 years. But here's the best part. So Mayor Daley, who is credited with, you know, pulling strings and, and stealing votes in order to, for John Kennedy to win the election because it was that close against Nixon in 1960. But, but he was such a, a, he was such a, he had such a fiefdom here in Chicago. He was such the kingmaker, the boss of, of, of the whole state that he told George Hellas, if the Bears move out of city proper, that they can't call the, the team the Chicago Bears anymore. Okay, that is the most short-sighted, silly, and unsubstantial, un, uh, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't prove that. You can't back that up legally. Mayor Daley or Chicago does not have a copyright on the name Chicago. But back in that time, nobody wanted to get on Richard J. Daley's bad side. The city was still under his hypnotic uh, you know, leadership because half the people got jobs or knew somebody who got a job. And that, and that short-sighted blinders view, parochial view still dominated the city. And people were like, yeah, you can't go there. You have to be in the city. You're Chicago Bears. Bears weather and all that BS. Bears weather hasn't done anything for the Bears in their whole career. So you know where to stick your Bears weather. None of the players are born and raised in Chicago. So they're not used to playing in cold weather. So forget Bears weather. That's another antiquated, sentimental hogwash. The San Francisco 49ers play in Levi's Stadium right now. They used to play in Candlestick Park, which was in San Francisco. But now they built a state-of-the-art stadium in Santa Clara, which is about 45 minutes outside of San Francisco. But guess what they are not called? They are not called the Santa Clara 49ers. They are called the San Francisco 49ers. For the most part, the Dallas Cowboys have never played in Dallas. They played in Irvine, Texas, and now they just built a state-of-the-art stadium that is not in Dallas. 
Minnesota is a nice city, but it's not a major city. It's not on the par of Chicago. Why does Minnesota, which has the same kind of of climate that Chicago has, why do they have a world-class dome stadium? And we're playing in a park district field where high school kids play. You tell me what's going on here. The New York Giants and the New York Jets don't even play in the state of New York, more or less the city of New York. They play across the river in New Jersey. But they are called the New York Giants and the New York Jets. So in the 21st century, get over this BS that you have to be in the limits of the city to be called it. First of all, there's no legal point to that. The city cannot say you can't call yourself that. The city doesn't own a copyright on the name. If I held a pizza place in Orland Park, I could call it Chicago Pizza. And Lori Lightfoot can't, can't say you can't call your pizza place the Chicago Pizza Place because it's in Orland Park or Park Ridge. The same way that she can't say, or Mayor Daly 50 years ago couldn't say, you can't call the team the Chicago Bears. So this city has been led by short-sighted people. And this team has been run by short-sighted, inept ownership. I will give them my first bow of respect. I still fear they're going to screw this up. If they build a stadium in Arlington Heights, on the Arlington Park racetrack land, and it does not have a retractable roof, It's a waste of time. The stadium needs a retractable roof, not only for the Bears to play and win in. Forget your Bears weather crap, please. Nobody wants to sit in a a stadium when it's five degrees in the winter in January in Chicago, and no player wants to play in it, and no team gets better because of it. Secondly, If it doesn't have a retractable uh, roof on it, at the very least, if not a dome, they won't have a dome, but it has to have a retractable roof. If it doesn't, this is all a failure, and the McCaskies will have again screwed it up again. If they play into that Bears weather BS, they're proving that they do not know how to run this team in the 21st century. Because a new football stadium, a state-of-the-art stadium, better have, at the very least, in Chicago, where you have horrible winters, better have a retractable roof, not only so that the team can win and, 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 and perform to its best during the season, but then Chicago will be able to get a Super Bowl. The, the NFL would rather have Minnesota got a Super Bowl already. Yes, they did have a Super Bowl in the winter in New York, and they were keeping their fingers crossed it wasn't going to be cold. But New York's winters are not like Chicago's. Chicago will never get a Super Bowl, not only because the Soldier Field only holds 65,000 people, and you have to hold at least 80 or 90 to make the game worth it from a, from a, a revenue standpoint, 
but they always want to have hot weather or warm weather or at least a dome stadium if you're a cold weather city. So immediately the Bears in Chicago, which they should because it's a founding city of the NFL, would finally get a Super Bowl to host it, if not be in it, at least host it. We can't get that now. We never have because we don't have the facility. So you better put a retractable dome on, a dome on, a lid on that place. So not only can you get a Super Bowl to either play in, but at least you could host it. And then that, that stadium then becomes a, a viable venue to host Final Fours uh, and other kinds of outdoor events in the winter. So if I, I give them credit right now for making this move, but I'm still weary until I see the plans because I can't trust them to do this right. They may have made the first step and I give them all the credit, and that's what today is about. Congratulations, Bears. But I'm still on the fence. I'm still weary or wary, W-A-R-Y. I have been weary, but I'm also wary. <laughs> but until I see those plans, and if there is not a retractable roof, it's the McCaskey curse all over again. So, what should be done? Self-awareness, as I said before. The McCaskies should realize that their family, just, you, just, you, don't, you don't know how to run a football team just because your grandfather ran it. We see so many times that, that companies uh, are run by the sons or the, you know, the grandsons and they, and they were around for 100 years and they're gone within five. The McCaskies have had their chance. They've had three decades and they have failed. Self-awareness. Know your shortcomings. If you don't want to sell the team, if you feel that you would be betraying your grandfathers or your great-grandfathers or your father's uh, wishes that this team always stay in the in the family. I get that, but then have the self awareness to step down aside and be a silent owner, and bring in top notch people from the very top to run this thing like a professional business, not like a mom and pop second tier market team. The Bear franchise in its history does not deserve that. And the loyal, the, the incredibly loyal, the, the loyal to a fault, the Bears fans' loyalty has led to the Bears' failure because the McCaskies know that these Bear fans will give them the benefit of the doubt and will always root for this team no matter how bad they are, no matter how bad they pick draft picks no matter how bad they they hire coaches and general managers the bear fans will always support it i've said this before bear fans do your team a favor and stop make them accountable if anything bear fans the mccaskey's families have taken advantage of you Moving forward, I don't think the McCaskey will ever sell the team. My prediction is as long as they are active owners, as long as there is a McCaskey, 
who is the CEO, who is running the, who is overseeing the day-to-day operations, as long as there's a McCaskey in that role, some family member, this team will never win a Super Bowl. I've been saying that for at least the last 15 years, and that's been the case. And you can extend that back now, as I said, almost 35 years. They have not won a Super Bowl, and they are showing no signs this year. I looked on my Facebook page, ironically. On September 28th, I got this little note on my Facebook page that that last year, September 28th, 2020, that, oh, here's a memory from last year. On September 28th, 2020, the Bears were mired in another horrible, usual quarterback controversy with Mitch Trubinsky. And at the time, I wrote, here we go again, the same old stuff, inexperienced coach, bad bad GM, bad picks, and here we are three years later in the Nagy uh, tenure, and they're terrible again. And ironically, a year to that date, Nagy was telling the Bear fans in his press conference how embarrassing the Bears were and how horrible their offense was. Bear fans, I'm not trying to be anti-Bears. I'm just looking at it objectively. Stop being patsies for this team. And McCaskey's, have some respect for the team, your grandfather's legacy, your father's legacy, and the loyalty of these fans, and the history of the NFL. Hand over the, either sell the team, or at the very least, hand over the reins to people that know you can still enjoy the game, you still own the team, and you can still be the greatest Bear fans, which I believe the McCaskies are. But you shouldn't be running this team. The facts prove that you can't do it. I give you my kudos for the time being for at least making a major move to finally give the Bears the kind of a venue and a stadium that this area, that Chicago, and that the Bears team and the Bears fan deserve. Just don't screw it up. Put a retractable roof on the thing at the very least. I'm sorry, but I have to bear down on those Chicago Bears. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Don't forget, every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and your devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 280. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Bear down, Chicago Bears.